So hello everyone and welcome. It's good to have you with us for another speaking of discussion. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'm Sarah Gardner, the Climate Action Coordinator for Iowa City, and with me is our fabulous Recycling Coordinator, Jane Welch. Hey Jane, how's it going today? Hi Sarah, I'm good and hello to all of you joining us, whether it's your first time or that you've been with us for other speaking of discussions, welcome. Uh, it's always a coincidence that we seem to have these discussions falling on holidays like America Recycles Day. Trying to think if there's anything uh, on the calendar for this discussion, Sarah. Well, you know, it's not a holiday exactly, but starting this Wednesday, we'll be celebrating our third annual Climate Fest. So it's a very busy week in my office, but a really good one. It feels like a real celebration. I think that counts. I think that does. That's right. Climate Fest. So how are events looking so far? Yeah, pretty good. Um, we actually hired a new engagement specialist this year, Megan Hill, who has been putting a lot of work into it and just doing a great job. She's brought back um, some favorite events from years past, like the EV car show that's going to take place this Saturday at the Farmer's Market. And uh, the really cool film screening for this year in collaboration with Film Scene is on Thursday. Uh, this year, the film that she selected is called Inhabitants, which is about Native American land management projects or um, processes that can help us fight climate change. And the movie is free, but goodwill donations um, can be made that will go to support local foods programming through the Meskwaki Nation. So that is super cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, it, so is there anything new this year? Yeah, of course. Uh, probably the biggest new thing this year is we're actually having a big kickoff Wednesday evening at uh, Big Grove Brewery from 5 to 8 p.m. Oh, as part great. of the event. Yeah. As part of it, they're going to be giving behind the scenes tours with a special climate related feature. Um, actually, you'll like this, Jane. We gave Big Grove a grant earlier this year to invest in a carbon capture and recycling system that lets them capture CO2 from the brewing process that's created naturally, and then they condense it and clean it and use it to carbonate their beer. So this is something I actually didn't know a lot about before this project. Um, I certainly didn't know that most breweries ship in the carbon dioxide they use to carbonate. Um, but with this system in place, Big Grove no longer has to do that. It's going to reduce our transportation emissions as a city by 23 tons every year, just from not having to have those heavy trucks bringing in carbon dioxide from Illinois twice a week to put bubbles in the beer. Now that local beer is going to have local bubbles. I think that's really cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know, I'm a big fan of local craft beer. So that is really cool. Wow. Uh, well, I know, you know, for the Big Grove kickoff event, you and I will both be there. I'll be tabling along with lots of other awesome organizations locally. Uh, hopefully some of the folks listening in will stop by and say hi as well. So for any of those that are on the line with us, what do they need to know to attend? And is the kickoff event at Big Grove free? Well, all the Climate Fest events are free, and you can find details about them on our website, icgov.org slash climatefest. There's lots of fun stuff there, more than I, we could even mention, given that we do want to talk about greenhouse gas emissions today. Um, but you can go to the website, find more information. There's lots of great stuff to unearth there. And hopefully, yeah, if you, do, if you are listening in and you attend one of the events, please do come up and introduce yourselves. We're always eager to meet residents who are interested in climate issues and recycling. So greenhouse gas emissions, do you want to dive into that? 
I do for sure, Sarah. Before before we jump in, though, let's do a bit of our usual housekeeping. So if you're joining us for the first time, these, these discussions are casual. You're not going to see charts or slides, but we will be inviting you along the way to ask questions and share ideas. At the bottom of, of your screen, you'll find a Q&A button. So you can pop a question in there anytime you have one. We'll pause every so often to make sure those questions are getting answered. So Sarah, I think it's time, greenhouse gas inventories. Yes, all those GHGs. Yeah, so, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this in the last few weeks. What kinds of questions do you get about Iowa City's inventory? Ooh, you know, that itself is a great question. I can rattle off some for sure, mm -hmm. um, but why don't we actually ask folks listening in to put their own questions in the Q&A box we were just discussing. Uh, we always like to try to start there so that folks know they can access it. Um, and it looks like James has already put something in, a nice little compliment to Big Grove saying, you know, despite the daunting size of Big Grove, they are taking the initiative to be greener. And that certainly seems to be true. So good observation. But if any of you have any questions about GHG inventories, go ahead and put them in the Q&A box now and we'll do our best to get them answered, whether now or in the course of our discussion. Mm -hmm. And Sarah, I'll keep an eye out on the Q&A box, read out questions coming in, just to give folks a few minutes to kind of think through maybe what questions they have. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Iowa City's greenhouse gas inventory in the meantime? And I'll also say uh, throughout this, you know, you'll be, attendees will be hearing us saying GHG, that's just a shortened versions for greenhouse gas. For sure. You know, one of the funny things about our inventory is that it is both the longest running greenhouse gas inventory in the state. Before any other cities were tracking their emissions, Iowa City was, and I think that's something to be proud of. Mm -hmm. um, but also our first comprehensive greenhouse gas inventory was done in 2008. So we have about 15 years of data on this. Um, and I just think that speaks to how relatively new this tool is for cities, you know. And we've been working with Johnson County this year, which is in the process of developing their own inventory. Part of what they've been trying to do is do an inventory for this year and one for 10 years ago so they can see where they're at now compared to then. And I can definitely tell you, helping with that process has made me glad we've been gathering that data year after year. It is a lot of data to have to track down retroactively if you don't have it already. Oh, absolutely. Now, Sarah, I do want to mention Becky Soglin did message saying she's on the call if anyone asks about how Iowa City inventories relate to the county inventories. So thank you, Becky. We do appreciate that. Absolutely. Yes. Welcome, Becky. Perfect. And then I also see you may get to this, but does the city collaborate with the university in terms of the inventory approach? Um, well, we do all the calculations in-house, but we do reach out to the university each year to get the emissions data for the power plant that um, sits right on campus, because obviously those are emissions that we want to account for here in the city. And I'm very pleased to say that the university has always been a really great partner in helping us get that information. So we appreciate it very much. As um, I'm sure Becky could attest, getting the data is more than half the battle in doing one of these inventories. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it looks like that's about what we have for questions right now, but everyone on the call, please feel free, just type in questions when you have them and we will certainly get those answered. Um, I have a question for you, Sarah. So 
when we're talking about gathering data, what exactly are we gathering? Yeah, that's such a great question, Jane. One thing I always find interesting that isn't maybe obvious to everyone, which is to say it certainly wasn't to me when I got started, is that there are different kinds of greenhouse gas inventories, each one of which uses a slightly different approach. Um, and almost all greenhouse gas inventories are built on estimates because in most cases, we don't actually have the equivalent of a tailpipe sensor on every emission source. And even if we do, cities don't always have access to that data. Sure, so you mean you don't actually have a little monitor on my car and my apartment and my dinner table keeping track of all the emissions I'm generating? <laughs> Well, you know, don't use this as an excuse to go wild and start churning out more carbon dioxide, Jane. But yes, we don't actually have a way to track that on a person-by-person -person basis. What we do have are some pretty reliable methods for getting at the numbers we need. And by reliable, I mean they've been used by multiple cities for many years so that um, it's become a sort of standardized process. For transportation emissions, for example, we have the Iowa Department of Transportation, which has counters set up at a variety of roads that can be used to estimate vehicle traffic overall. And they have vehicle registration data for all the cars in Iowa, which then can be used to calculate the average fuel efficiency. If you know roughly how many miles get driven each day in Iowa City and what the average miles per gallon efficiency of the vehicles are, you can multiply those numbers together to estimate the gallons of gas used. And then from there, we know every gallon of gas consumed produces 19 pounds of carbon dioxide. So from there, it's simply a matter of multiplying the estimated gallons consumed by 19. Boy, that's interesting. So let me get this straight. It's the estimated number of miles traveled in a year multiplied by the average fuel efficiency of the vehicles multiplied by the pounds of carbon dioxide per gallon, that 19 number. So that's that's a bit of math to work through for sure, but it makes sense. I'm curious though, you said there is a different way or different ways of calculating that. So what would be another way? Yeah, I gotta say, I'm impressed. You got it right off the bat. That's exactly right. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> Um, well, the method I just described is part of the GPC or Global Protocol for Community Scale Greenhouse Gas Inventories methodology, which is quite a mouthful. Our climate analyst, Daniel Bissell, likes to joke, there's a reason we say GPC. Um, and that's the method we use and the method um, many cities use, both nationally and internationally. Recently, Google has started offering this data to some cities, and what we learned when we talked to reps from Google is that they use a slightly different method. Essentially, what they do is look at data gathered from Android phones and Google Map apps that track those devices and where they travel each day. And then Google knows roughly the proportion of people who use those phones and apps compared to the larger population. So they can scale up from there to estimate how many miles everyone is in a given area is traveling. And then they multiply that number by a regional fuel efficiency number to arrive at their GHG estimate. Wow, so which method would you consider to be better and why use one instead of the other? Oh, good questions. Well, you know, every estimate involves a little trade-off, but I actually think our number is better. Apologies to Google. One of the reasons for that is that a smartphone may have a more exact measurement of the number of miles it has traveled, but it doesn't know if it got there in a semi or a scooter. 
The traffic counters used by the DOT though are able to tell us a bit about how many vehicles were heavy duty things like semis and medium duty things like delivery vans and light duty passenger vehicles. It's just a little more granular in terms of, in terms of what's known as vehicle class. And uh, we can get different average miles per gallon for those vehicle classes. That lets us be just a little more precise. Um, in fact, an, an independent research team in Arizona dug into all the greenhouse gas inventories it could find for cities in the US. And when they put out a report in 2021, one of the findings was that Iowa City's inventory is one of the most accurate estimates in the whole country. Oh my goodness. Wow. Good job, Daniel. That's awesome. Yeah, good job, Daniel and Rachel and Brenda and all the other folks who've helped us calculate that inventory over the years. Yes, I, I second that. Uh, so why might a community use a different number, say, like Google's? Well, you know, it's just a different way of estimating the number, and not every community is as lucky as we are here in Iowa City to have someone with a dedicated job of calculating those emissions. So I actually really appreciate what Google is doing in trying to use the data it has to get more data out there for more communities to use. Mm -hmm. You know, and big picture, a greenhouse gas inventory is a tool to help you figure out what the community needs to be doing to fight climate change. In the end, having every iota of carbon accounted for is less important, at this stage at least, than being able to see the big picture and make good decisions based on that. Sure. So is everything in our greenhouse gas inventory an estimate then? You know, one thing isn't actually, and I bet you, Jane, can guess which thing it is. We use estimates for the energy use in buildings and transportation emissions because, like I said, we don't have monitors on every vehicle and business and home to measure those emissions, but there is a place in Iowa City where we do have very precise monitoring instruments in place tracking greenhouse gas emissions. I do know the answer to that. It's where I work. It's the landfill. Uh, so we have to monitor our waste emissions captured in all of our gas wells. So in every landfill cell across the landfill property, we report those numbers to entities such as the Iowa DNR every year. Uh, your office also requests that data from our landfill superintendent each year, too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, and for that matter, we also get very precise numbers from our wastewater treatment plant for exactly that same reason. So those two numbers are the most exact ones we have in our inventory. You know, earlier I was saying there are different kinds of greenhouse gas inventories, and that's not just true in terms of different approaches. Different mm -hmm. inventories can also take a look at different things. In fact, here in Iowa City, we actually use three different greenhouse gas inventories for exactly this reason. There's the community-wide inventory that most people are familiar with. That's the one we've been discussing and we report on every year. It estimates the greenhouse gas emissions for all the activities taking place in Iowa City. But talking about the landfill reminds me one of, of one of the other inventories we use, which is our municipal greenhouse gas inventory, which we try to do every five years or so. Yeah, I remember I remember that inventory. That really was the first of its greenhouse, first of its kind in greenhouse gas inventories calculated for the city even before we got going on the community-wide one. Isn't that right? Yes, that's exactly right. You know, and a lot of communities start with a municipal inventory because it calculates the emissions for things that are under control of City Hall, like all the fuel we use in our buses and refuse trucks and all the electricity used at the library and water treatment plant. 
and the emissions from our landfill operations, it's often a little easier for cities to start there because in theory, at least in theory, you have all that data in house. You don't have to request it from say like the Department of Transportation as we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And addressing those emissions are also a more straightforward place to start because cities have some direct control over those things. Yeah. I remember that one of the things we learned from the municipal inventory was that more than half of the emissions from city operations came from the landfill. And a big reason for that was because those are the methane emissions, which as we know, are a much more powerful climate change driver than just carbon dioxide. That's such a good memory, Jane. You know, I'm so glad you brought this up too, because I think it really speaks to why it's helpful to do more than one kind of inventory those methane emissions loomed large in the municipal inventory. And then we did a community-wide greenhouse gas inventory and it told us that all of the emissions from the municipal inventory we had done were just 5% of the total emissions generated in Iowa City. So those methane emissions are a very big segment of a very slim piece of the pie. That's uh, <laughs> kind of a weird metaphor. Is there a better way of saying that? We do love our pie metaphors. Maybe that's, let's see, maybe that the municipal emissions are a small slice of a bigger pie, but those emissions were the fruit filling of that slice. How's that? Ooh, the fruit filling. I like it. That's a good way of putting it. I try. I try. Uh, I think, and just to continue with this, I think it especially works because those methane emissions come from organic matter. Uh, in the landfill. So that's all the food waste, the yard waste, some of which has been uh, slowly breaking down in our landfill for many decades, and it'll keep breaking down for many decades to come as well. Yep. I see what you did there. It's a very solid metaphor. <laughs> I you think know, we carried it through. <laughs> it's worth saying, even though it's a small segment of our emissions overall, we still are thinking about ways to reduce it for exactly the reason you said. Even when we get to the point where all our electricity is coming from clean sources and all our travel is done by foot or bike or electric bus, mm -hmm. that organic material will still be in the landfill breaking down, putting out emissions. You know, zero net emissions by 2050 is our goal. And that means figuring out what to do even about that. Right, which is why we put so much emphasis on reducing food waste and using our compost program. Uh, one of the programs that we have related to that is the Love Food Fight Waste program. Uh, but first things first, let's keep as much of that material out of the landfill to begin with. And, you know, why is that? Well, let's kind of break that down. So when organic material breaks down in a compost pile, it doesn't produce methane because there's plenty of oxygen available for that aerobic decomposition. So when we're talking about aerobic decomposition, that's the breakdown of materials in an environment with oxygen. But when it's sealed up in a landfill, that's anaerobic decomposition kicking in, meaning there's no oxygen, there's no light, and that's really what leads to the methane production, that really potent greenhouse gas. And, you know, especially with our climate action goals, now it's figuring out what do we do with the material that's already in the landfill. Right. And at the same time, you know, we have the community-wide greenhouse gas inventory that lets us step back and say, okay, big picture, 
more than 75% of emissions come from energy use in our buildings. So we need to focus a lot more of our attention on energy efficiency and clean energy to address the areas where most of our emissions are coming from. That's where a lot of the effort in my office ends up because that's where the inventory leads us. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So that's two greenhouse gas inventories, the municipal and the community-wide, but you mentioned a third. So which one is the third one, Sarah? You know, the third one, we've actually done once and uh, there's a good reason for it. Um, that's our consumption-based inventory. I sometimes think of these inventories as being like nesting dolls. Each mm -hmm. one gives you a bigger picture. But if we want to stick with the pie metaphor, which of course we do, um, I suppose you might say the municipal inventory was like the piece of the pie, as we said, and the community-wide inventory was the whole pie. And then I guess you'd say the consumption-based inventory is like the entire pie shop. Mm -hmm. I said earlier, every greenhouse gas inventory has its trade-offs. One of those trade-offs is that the bigger the picture gets, the less precise it is. So the municipal inventory was very precise. We could tell the emissions building by building if we wanted to, because we had all that data. And the community-wide starts getting into more estimates because we have bundles of data for residences and businesses and industrial sectors, but not on the building by building level. And the biggest inventory, the consumption-based, tries to look at everything. So it's the least precise, but it can still be useful, especially when we combine it with the other two. Yeah, that makes sense. And this is the inventory that told us that if everyone on the planet consumed material goods at the same level that Iowa City residents do, we would need four planets to produce all those goods and absorb all that carbon. I know we had talked about that a bit in our last Speaking Up discussion focused on greenwashing. So it's the reason that we said sometimes even more important than finding the greenest product to purchase, simply just reusing or wearing out what we already have is really the best bet. Oh, yep. Reuse that topic so near and dear to your heart and mind. You know, you're exactly right. I mentioned earlier that our community-based inventory was found to be one of the most accurate in the country, but even it has its limits. The biggest one is that it only tracks emissions generated within city limits. Mm -hmm. um, so if you drive from your home in Iowa City to a store in Iowa City to buy, <laughs> I guess it's the theme of the day, let's say you're driving to buy a pie, we have oh. a pretty good sense of how many emissions were generated. And we can even say how many emissions were generated by the delivery truck that brought the pie to the store from whatever point it entered Iowa City. But you know, what about the emissions from the part of its route that is outside of Iowa City? Let's say it's coming from a bakery in another city. And what about the emissions from the factory making the packaging for the pie in another state? For that matter, what if you don't live in Iowa City and you just come here for our excellent pie? We know from our data that on average, 40,000 people who don't live here come to the city every workday to work or shop or go to a concert, you name it. What about those emissions? Whew, yikes. I'm feeling kind of stressed out from that. That seems like a, something to really pay attention to. I can see how we might get to four planets from that, you know? Um, so many of the things that we use for day-to-day -day life don't originate in Iowa City, as you said, but they have to originate from somewhere. And I think, you know, this reminds me too of something that Jen Jordan, who's our landfill supervisor, and myself like to say in presentations, 
is that, you know, our cell phones, I've got mine right here, our cell phones, these devices are more well-traveled than most of us will ever be in our lives because they have parts in them that were mined or manufactured or assembled uh, in so many different parts of the world, whether it be Germany, China, Australia, Chile, the Congo, really so many other places as well. And it would really be incredibly complex to track all of those industrial processes and the shipping routes. And this is just one object. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's no wonder that many cities don't get around to doing a consumption-based inventory. And in many ways, it's a lot of number crunching to tell us something we probably already know intuitively, mm -hmm. and that is to fight climate change, we need to consume less. But it's nice to be able to put some numbers to that idea. And because we have that inventory, we were able to put a sustainable lifestyle section in our climate action plan, which is also a little unusual for those kinds of plans. I think that's a great section, though. Um, you know, I think this is also a good time. Let's pause and see if anyone wants to ask questions about the three different greenhouse gas inventories that Sarah just highlighted. And then I also have a question of my own. So let's open up the Q&A box and answer any questions that we might have coming in. Yeah, and Jane, I'll just say, it looks like my screen might be frozen. So we might ask if um, folks can still hear me. Um, and if not, sure. we may put you in the driver's seat for some of these questions. Yeah, no, that's no problem. I can still hear you just fine. And honestly, Sarah, if you need to, you can come over to my room if you need to. So, um, okay, let's take a look here. What we've got. Someone approves of our fruit filling metaphor. Thank you. We appreciate that, James. That's very <laughs> sweet. Okay. And Becky said, yes, we can still hear Sarah. That's great. Uh, Sarah, can you talk one more time? Yeah. Can you still okay, hear me? Good, good. Yep. Yeah, I think your, your screen is just frozen. That's fine. Let's see. Becky also said, Iowa City uses some actual utility data for buildings. What other building aspects are estimates? Um, well, that's true. And that's a good thing to know about our greenhouse gas inventories. We do get that utility data for our buildings from Mid-American Energy and from Eastern Iowa Light and Power, which are the two um, utilities serving Iowa City. Um, and really, that gets us pretty far in terms of what we need to know. Um, it's it's pretty exact data in terms of the amount of electricity that's used on an annual basis, where you may see, and estimates may not be exactly the right word, but um, what we then do with that electricity data is we use um, emissions factor data for the energy mix that's used to generate that electricity, right? And that energy mix exists on the statewide level. And there's also um, a factor factoring in things called uh, renewable energy credits or RECs um, so that uh, it determines roughly what the emissions are. And I shouldn't say roughly, it's, it's, it's not totally rough, but it, it's still a bit of an estimate in terms of what the emissions are in terms of our piece of the <laughs> statewide pie for the electricity usage. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Thanks for bringing that up, Becky. Great. I think that's all we've got right now. But, you know, like we say, please put any questions that arise in that Q&A box. We'll have more opportunities throughout to answer those. Yeah. So what was your question, Jane? 
Yes. Uh, well, I know you said earlier that one of the ways the greenhouse gas emissions impact our plan is by showing we need to focus on buildings and energy usage, especially, but especially for everyone listening and all the residents and community members, that can mean a lot of different things. So do we tell people to switch to LED bulbs? Do we tell them to put solar panels on their roof or something else? And do we have enough data to realistically make decisions like that as to what is going to have the biggest impact, especially if we're working from estimates? Well, you know, the short answer is yes, you know, do those things. Because if there's one thing that the greenhouse gas inventories make clear, it's that all of this is tied together. So there's mm -hmm. no one simple action that's going to solve everything. What we need is a whole bundle of actions. But even with the estimates, we can get some pretty detailed information that tells us how to focus those actions. Mm -hmm. um, and this actually gets to, I, it doesn't really get to the question that Becky raised about the estimate uh, 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 building usage, but it does talk a little about how we can drill down a bit more in the data we get. When it comes to buildings, you know, a larger proportion of our emissions from homes comes from burning natural gas, for example. And in our industrial buildings, the data shows us it comes more from electricity usage. That's one of the reasons why Iowa City has a number of programs to help businesses increase their energy efficiency and do things like install solar panels or um, improve the building envelope because electricity usage is their biggest source of emissions. Mm -hmm. You know, and you might remember when we had our summer energy use discussion, we spent a lot of time talking about heat pumps. A big reason for that is we know that heat pumps can help reduce natural gas usage, which for residents is a bigger issue in the home. So those are just two examples of how having a good greenhouse gas inventory is more than an interesting math problem. The information is really useful in helping us set our climate change fighting priorities. Right. I know something else that you and I have talked about a lot too, with you being a recycling coordinator in another community and me being the recycling coordinator here, is that a greenhouse gas inventory is often the first step for many cities to look beyond recycling to other actions that they can take. Uh, because recycling has been around for so long and people tend to really care about it, it can be hard to make a case for other actions. But once you have that greenhouse gas inventory, you've really got the numbers to back up when we say, actually, recycling is great, but we've got some other things that we need to be doing too. Exactly. You know, our community-wide greenhouse gas inventory is pretty consistent in showing that landfill emissions are only about two to three percent of our total emissions here in Iowa City, mm -hmm. while transportation is about 22 percent and buildings are 75 percent. That's pretty much the opposite of how most people prioritize their climate actions at home. You know, we tend to think of recycling first, and then maybe we'll try walking or biking more or driving less as our second action. And third, maybe solar panels someday or LED bulbs. It's really clear that when it comes to taking climate action at home, people really struggle with even knowing like where to start. But our greenhouse gas inventory very clearly says that's exactly where we need to be figuring it out and helping people make smart climate formed decisions because a lot of things that are gonna shift the needle are decisions that are made around your kitchen table about your home. Yeah, that is right. So bottom line, how are we doing then? I know this is the time of year when we normally complete our annual community-wide inventory. Any news to share with the group today? Uh, well, you know, um, 
And there is a bit of maybe disappointing, but not unexpected news. Um, our total emissions did go up a little last year. Um, mm -hmm. The year before that, we had actually dipped below our 2030 goal of reducing emissions 45%. This year, we saw our emissions nudge back up in almost every category. Oh. Am I still, am I still I, there, Jane? You are. I just turned your camera off to see if I could start it back up. So yes, you're good. <laughs> Sorry for the panic there. You're good. Um, you're good. So we, you know, we saw our emissions nudge back up in almost every category, but especially, especially in transportation emissions and industrial and commercial energy use. And that's not so surprising, really, given that some of those emissions we saw the year before were from uh, the first year in the pandemic when a lot of people were staying home. So, you know, it's not surprising that we weren't driving as much in 2020 and that our business activity slowed down a bit. And now that things are starting to get back to normal, those emissions are up again too, you know, and even in non-pandemic years, it's worth saying, you do see those numbers rise and fall from year to year. It's almost never just a straight line down. Um, we've had slight bumps up in 2014 and 2018 before, so it's not the first time our emissions have gone up. In fact, you know, a lot of communities do these inventories every five years instead of every year to flatten out those little variations. But of course, we would be much happier seeing those numbers continue a downward trend. So did we go back up enough to be above our 2030 goal? Oh, Jane, you're asking all the tough questions today. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, we did, you know, it's a little discouraging for sure. In 2020, we were at a 49% reduction from our 2010 levels. And in 2021, we were at a 44% reduction. So just a slight rise. Um, but I, you know, I've had some time to sit with those numbers and there are two things I see in them that actually do give me hope. The first is that we know why those numbers went down in 2020 and why they've gone back up in 2021. That tells me we know some of the things we need to do to bring them down again. And now we can make the choice to do it, you know, without the pandemic forcing our hand. We know if we keep helping businesses with energy efficiency, that's going to cut energy usage even while they continue to operate. And if we get more people engaged with transportation alternatives, that will help with those transportation emissions. If nothing else, it shows us that these aren't pie in the sky solutions. We've dropped these emissions before, we can drop them again. Yeah, that's a good point. So what, what is the other thing then? Um, well, you know, greenhouse gas inventories are not without controversy, which uh, not a lot of, you know, sometimes is surprising to folks. There are some people who argue that much like individual carbon footprints, community greenhouse gas inventories track things that are largely outside of our control. And it's a way of making us take responsibility for things that we can't meaningfully change. And there is some validity to this argument. You know, at the end of the day, the city doesn't have the authority to force all the coal-fired power plants to shut off, for example, even though we do have to count their emissions in our inventory. But I actually think the truth is more no nuanced than this either or idea. You know, either we can control these outcomes or we can't. And that will come as a surprise to anybody who's listened in on these conversations. You know, we say in reality, there are some things we can impact directly and other things where maybe it's not entirely in our hands, but we can still be part of the conversation. One of the most interesting things for me in this inventory 
um, and really interesting is that our electricity sources continued to get cleaner in 2021. We had about 88.5% clean energy generation last year for 2021 and in 84% the year before in 2020. And yet our emissions still went up 5% even though the electricity was cleaner. Why is that? Because we drove more and we returned to workplaces and businesses and our demand for electricity outstripped our ability to clean it up. Those are things to one degree or another we can meaningfully change through some big actions and some smaller actions of our own. Gosh, Sarah, that clean energy statistic is, is pretty incredible. My goodness. Um, Sarah, I might have you try, turn your video on, please, just to see if maybe it rebooted. I'm just curious. Hmm. Well, it's, it's letting not you. letting me turn it on. Oh, well, goodness. Let's see if I, that is very strange. Well, that's okay. All we right. can still hear you just fine. So that's, I think that's the important part. Um, okay. Well, yeah, that clean energy number, man, that really hits home. Uh, it's, it's interesting though, too. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Sarah, you're back with us. Great. Uh, so it, it's interesting, though, I think one of the conversations that we've heard in the last few years uh, from, from some locals saying that a problem with Iowa City's climate action plan is that it relies heavily on mid-American energy's clean energy efforts to do all the work. And what you're saying is, here's a very clear signal that even if that were true, it wouldn't be enough. We could have all the clean energy we could wish for, and there would still be things for us as individuals to do differently if we want to achieve those climate action goals. That was really well put, Jane. You know, I, I suppose it comes down to how you look at it. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, emissions went up last year. But on the other hand, it really is within our power to change course. We know good places to start because they've worked before. I suppose that brings us pretty close, actually, to the end of our conversation, just in time for my video to turn back on. But I did want to check one more time and see if there are any other questions we can answer. Um, it looks like we've got an anonymous attendee who put an item in the uh, chat box saying, does doing inventories help you get grants or other help to do some of the climate actions? Um, we, in terms of federal grants, we've not been asked to have a greenhouse gas inventory. Um, but there is a sort of indirect connection. Um, we are able, anytime a city has a plan for anything, whether it's a transportation plan or a land use plan or a hazard mitigation plan, um, that's something that when you're applying for federal funding, they tend to like to see, right? So the fact that we have a climate action plan, a plan positions us to be able to um, make the argument that we know how to use those dollars. You know, the thing that I always joke about um, about plans is that the federal government very rarely says to you like, here's a check, go have fun kids, right? Like they wanna know that you have thought through how it's gonna be used and that it aligns with the goals of that funding. So the inventory doesn't necessarily get us the funding, but the plan does. But mm -hmm. having the inventory is part of what paved the way for having us, having a plan. You can develop a plan if you don't have a, a greenhouse gas inventory, but um, your plan is going to be much stronger for having it, which means ultimately folks who are reviewing that information will see that you're able to make a stronger case for the kinds of things you want to do. So 
That's a really great and subtle question. Mm -hmm. um, if anybody has any other questions, do please feel free to put them in the chat box or the Q&A box. My apologies. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not seeing anything right now, Sarah, but to everyone on the call, uh, just like what we do with past speaking ofs, if we, if you think of questions after our discussion today, uh, we're happy to follow up, you know, via email, we will be sending out the recording later this week uh, from the discussion today. So the, there will be an opportunity to connect if there are further questions. Right. Uh, so Sarah, yeah. the last, I have to bring this up. The last few times uh, you've had a fun fact to share at the end of our discussions. And I'm trying to imagine what that could be given that emissions are going up. But uh, was there anything fun in this year's numbers and data that you wanna share? Oh my gosh, that's a tall order. <laughs> um, well, you know, actually, it sounds funny to say, but there was one area of increased electricity use that we were actually quite excited to see. It's not in their inventory, but it's related. Um, in our parking ramps, electric vehicle charging has grown 290% since 2018. 290%. That is a big step in the right direction. You know, as we were talking about how our energy keeps getting cleaner, you know, um, vehicles are a way to take advantage of that when we switch over to electricity. Because even though, yes, it is using more electricity, that electricity, as we said, gets cleaner every year. You know, way back in the beginning of the conversation, when we were talking about how we estimate transportation emissions, I said that every gallon of gas burnt produces 19 pounds of carbon dioxide. And that will always be true. Like that, there's no way around it. That is just basic chemistry. But in 2018, less than 10% of our energy was from clean energy sources. And last year, 88.5% was. So those EVs are like, that energy is getting cleaner every year to put in those vehicles in a way that gas never will be. So please, yes, let's see more EVs on our road. That's a great example of uh, something we call beneficial electrification, which is a mouthful, but maybe something we should talk about sometime in one of these discussions. I think you just planted an idea, Sarah. Well, that is so cool, that electric vehicle statistic, and really good to know. I feel like that's a great note to end on. We're bringing the mood back up. Uh, <laughs> like well, I, I said, every... Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah. I was going to say, I do see one more related question that just popped up in the Q&A. Oh, sure. Go for it. Yeah. So James says, the related question is, does the city track electric car charger usage in local businesses like Hy-Vee, ACT, and Pearson? Um, the short answer to that is no, we, we don't have, we're not privy to that data. Um, what we do know from just sort of talking to those entities is that it seems like their usage tracks roughly with what we see in the city usage. Like we can go to them and say, hey, you know, it used to be we'd see one or two vehicles a day, now we're seeing, you know, four or five at a charger or however many. And when we've said that to these entities, they've said, well, yeah, no, that sounds about like what we're seeing, like more and more usage. I mean, it's, um, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I can say this without blushing in Iowa. Like it's one an example of that old truism, you know, if you build it, they will come. Not to get too field of dreams about it, but pretty clearly what we see is any place where we put in electric vehicle chargers, people find them and start using them. And they, it happens pretty rapidly. In fact, 
Um, last week, I was parking my car in one of the city garages where we park city vehicles. And one of the things I saw was that someone had very cleverly discovered where we charge the city EVs and was using it for their own personal vehicle because the EV charging stations in the lower level were full and unavailable for use. So that tells me that you know, the demand is still growing and we still need to be adding more EV chargers to keep up for it. And in fact, you know, we had that earlier question about whether having a greenhouse gas inventory helps get us funding for our climate actions. I didn't think of this. So thanks so much for asking this question, James. Um, we actually did use our greenhouse gas inventory as part of a grant application to get some of the VW settlement funds um, that can be put toward electric vehicle charging. And as a result, we were able to get grant funding to add two more level two chargers to our parking garages. So we're gonna be putting those in in the months to come and increasing that charging capacity. So that's exciting news. Thanks so much for the excellent question, James. That's great. Okay, I don't think I'm seeing anything else right now, Sarah. Uh, like I said, everyone, we will be sending out that recording of the conversation later this week and we can continue chatting if there's any other questions at that time. And of course, we'll look forward to the next conversation for speaking of. Yeah, do you know what we're gonna be talking about, Jane? I think it's your turn to pick. We do know what we're gonna be talking about, and I'm very excited about this. For October, we're gonna be talking about the upcoming holidays. So we always promote pumpkin, food waste, holiday tree composting during the end of the year holidays. Uh, and we've had some curiosity from residents about where that material goes and what happens to it. So we'll delve into, during the month of October, we'll delve into how composting works and several other holiday-related uh, topics, holiday waste-related topics, such as metallic and glitter-coated wrapping paper. We get a lot of questions about, uh, and that is a no-no for your recycling bin. So lots of, lots of fun holiday-related themes for October. Ooh, are we also going to maybe touch on recycling of holiday lights? I know you and I have wrung our hands over that a little bit. We, uh, you know what? We absolutely will. We do not want to disappoint, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that shiny gift wrap is a popular topic of confusion during the holidays. I know that I've addressed it myself before, for sure. So that sounds great, Jane. I'm excited about that topic. And it looks like James just popped in the uh, Q&A talking about holiday-related waste and energy usage. So maybe we'll do a little thinking and digging to see what we can say about energy usage during the holidays. That actually, I love that idea. Thanks for that idea, James. I, I, the holidays is such an interesting window of time if we look at environmental impact. And of course, that goes well beyond waste. So yeah, great addition. Love it. Perfect. Okay, well, uh, to all the attendees, I think we're wrapping up at this point. I'm not seeing any other questions. We're looking good, Sarah. I think we are. Yeah, okay. Well, to all of our attendees today, thanks for being with us and we hope to see you at next month's Speaking Of. Yeah, thanks everyone for the great questions today and thanks for tuning in. We'll hopefully see you next month. Yep, have a good day, everyone.